Now I want you to turn in your Bible over to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to do a little review from last week. Not much, but a little bit. An event, as you're turning to Ephesians chapter 2, listen up. An event is coming to this world. The Bible sees it as imminent. In other words, it could take place at any moment. An event is coming that will change the world forever. It is what we call the rapture of the church, the rapture of the church. When it takes place, all those who have trusted in Jesus Christ alone as Savior are going to be taken up to heaven in a moment, the Bible says, in a twinkling of an eye. They're going to, we're going to be gone. All church-age believers, and you'll understand that in just a moment when I show you the chart, but all church-age believers will take part in what is called, once we get to heaven, will take place in what is called the judgment seat of Christ. This judgment, again, it takes place in heaven. To be there at the judgment seat of Christ, you must have already trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Now again, where does it take place? It takes place in heaven. So you have to be a believer to be there. Now let's look at our chart and let's look at this timeline once again here. This is where we're living today in the church age. And the end of the church age will happen when Jesus comes back to take us up. We are going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The rest of the world will then enter into what's called the seven-year tribulation period, Daniel's 70th week of Daniel. Jeremiah called it the time of Jacob's trouble. But during this period on earth, which is the worst time of judgment that the world has ever known, might say, is that one of the seven judgments that we're covering? No, it's not, but we're including it in our understanding, okay? But this is going to be the worst time of judgment that the world has never known. It is seven years long, and it will culminate with the second coming of Jesus Christ back to earth to set up his kingdom. He will come all the way back to earth. We will be coming with him. Now, when the rapture takes place, what takes place then in heaven is what's called the judgment seat of Christ. And the judgment seat of Christ is what we're talking about today. Now, again, to be at the judgment seat of Christ, you have to be a believer. And we know that the way you become a Christian is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. It's not based on how you live. It's based on who you put your faith in. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says this, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are saved by grace, by God's unmerited favor. Okay, hopefully we see that. It is God dealing with us in a way that we do, do not deserve, nor can we merit. If this was you and me and my wallet represents our sin, here we are. The Bible says we're all sinners, yet God loves us. He hates our sin. Now we cannot go to heaven the way we are. No sin will enter heaven. Therefore, we have a, a problem. Now when you die, you either go to heaven or you end up in hell. In this condition, you can't go to heaven because there's no sin in heaven. You have to be sinless in the eyes of God to get into heaven. Now that throws out the whole idea that you can earn your way to heaven because no matter how many good works you pile on, it still doesn't take away the sin. We need a payment for sin and the only payment for sin is death. If we die for our sin, we'll be lost forever, separated from God for all eternity. 
God understands there's nothing we could do to earn our salvation because death is the only payment for sin. Therefore, what he did is he himself came to our rescue and he came in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And when Jesus came into the world, he went to the cross and he took our sin upon himself and he made the payment for our sin. So we don't have to. He did it for us. So we don't have to be separated from him in hell. He died, was buried, and came back from the dead, proving it was all paid for. And he says this, if you will put your faith in him that he did that for you, he will give you as a gift everlasting life. You'll be saved. Saved from what? From hell to heaven. When you trust Christ, I was talking to somebody just this last week and led this person to Christ. I said, let me ask you this. If Jesus Christ has paid for your sins, then then what in the world could send you to hell? Well, the answer is nothing. Because the reason people go to hell is because the wages of sin is death. But if you accept the payment Jesus made for you, you don't have to pay for your sin. Therefore, there's nothing to send you to hell and there's nothing to keep you out of heaven. So you want to trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. He is the only way. Over and over and over, we see this over and over and over. And so once we've trusted Christ as Savior, you might say, okay, well, okay, I'm saved. Now what? Do I just kind of wait around, twiddle my thumbs for God to take me home or live out my life? And do I have any purpose in life? The answer to that is yes. God saved us for a reason. Not only to keep us out of hell, that's wonderful, but he has a purpose for our lives now. And that's why we see when you're in Ephesians 2, we've seen verses 8 and 9, that's how you're saved. But now verse 10 gives us life purpose. And it says, for we are his workmanship, his thing made, his product. When you get saved, you're born again. You have a new birth. That new birth is the product of God. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That's when you got saved. You were created in Christ Jesus. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So we're not saved by works. We're saved unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And so if you're a Christian, you should live a life of good works, not a requirement of getting to heaven. It's not automatic. It's a matter of choice. Just like you getting saved is a matter of choice. You still have a free will. Once you're saved, you still have a free will to the degree that you choose to live for Christ. That's up to you. Now, it's something we all should do. We should live our lives for Christ, as we're going to see, and there's reasons for that. But it's a matter of choice. But make no mistake about it, folks. God has a purpose for my life once I'm saved. That's why he left me here. Now, we are secure in Christ no matter what we do, as we're going to see very clearly today. All of our sin was taken care of on the cross, all of it. Everlasting life is everlasting. But he has created us to live a life of good works. Every believer, this is why the judgment seat of Christ is there. Every believer is accountable to God for how he or she lives in response to the salvation that God has given us. And this accountability will take place at the judgment seat. Now, look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to go kind of quickly here because... We covered this last week, and I'm reviewing. The first three points today are review. But for those of you who weren't here last week, you 
If you come in on number four, you've missed the first three, which are foundational to our study. So I want to do a little review with this. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, wherefore we labor, this is Paul talking to a group of believers, the Corinthian believers, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, there it is again, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. So, in way of review, number one, it is a time, the judgment seat of Christ, it is a time of judgment to determine our reward or our loss of the reward that we could have had if we would have lived a faithful life. 1 Corinthians 3.8 says, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man, it's individual, every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Do you see? We are accountable for ourselves. Number two, it's personal. The emphasis on his own reward, his own labor. Not everyone will receive the same. You notice it says every man shall receive his own reward. That's an individual thing. In Romans chapter 14, in verse 10, it says, but why dost thou judge thy brother or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all believers stand at the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Now, it's interesting, I didn't see this until this week, I've never seen this before, in verse 11 and 12, how absolutely melted they are, welded together in concept. It says, every tongue shall confess to God. You might say, oh, I know that word confess. It means to agree, to agree with God. Well, that is true, but this is a little different spin on that. It has a little extra word connected. The Greek word for confess is homologeo. This is ex homologeo, ex homologeo, excuse me. And it means, this is interesting, to confess out, to confess out. In other words, it's not just agreeing with God in my heart and in my mind, it's actually verbally expressing my agreement with him. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that goes perfectly with verse 12 because it says, then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. And the word account here means a verbal answer. So verses 11 and 12 absolutely are really one concept. So I am gonna stand one day as a believer When I get raptured, I'm going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and I am going to confess out as God examines my life and talks about my life, I am going to confess out to him a verbal answer for maybe questions or statements he makes and I'm going to agree with him about the issues of my life as a believer. Number three, it is based on our faithfulness and motives. We saw this last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. You can turn there if you'd like. We'll be in Corinthians for a little while here. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self. By the way, they were being judgmental towards him. By the way, that's what carnal people do. And they were carnal. Chapter 3, verse 1. For I know nothing of myself, yet am I not hereby justified? 
but he that judges me is the Lord. Let me tell you something, folks. Our judgment of one another really doesn't matter much. We're going to be judged by God himself. That's the one that matters. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. That's the rapture. Who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart and then shall every man have praise of God. Clearly, there is a sobering accountability in the future that we must face. You put all these verses together. This paints a biblical picture. Now, now, folks, let's not impose on Scripture something that's not there, but let's not try to eradicate things in Scripture that are there. I've heard some very, very lame and one-sided teaching on the judgment seat of Christ over the years. I will be the first to admit, I don't know everything about it, but I do know this. If you take those, all those verses together and don't interpret them through your own filter, but let them speak as they are, this is a sobering judgment for believers. It's not just a party like some people make it out to be. Woo-hoo, judgment seat of Christ, just going to be a party. No, it's not. No, it's not. You're making that up. It's going to be a sobering accountability, which leads us, and this is the new part today. Number four, with all that in mind, you might say, oh boy, sobering accountability. Oh boy, I'm going to stand before the Lord. Oh boy, you know, all this. Number four is so important for us to realize we labor together with God himself. Now, folks, listen, this makes all the difference. It isn't that he's some taskmaster over us with a whip and all that. No, listen, what he asks us to do, he goes with us. This is a marvelous thing. Almighty God goes with me to accomplish his will so that, now think of this, son, I've got some responsibilities for you to do. Okay, dad, but you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if I've got the strength to do that. Uh, I, no, son, uh, I'm going to go with you. You are. I'm going to go with you. And not only am I going to go with you, I am going to give you all you need to accomplish what I have for you to do. Really? Wow, that's great. Not only that, but if you'll cooperate with me, I'm going to reward you for it at the judgment seat of Christ. Now think of that. He didn't have to do that. Isn't heaven enough? Heaven's enough. But he says, no, I'll re if you'll be faithful, I'll reward you. And you have no reason not to be faithful because I'm going to empower you and equip you to do the things I want you to do. And if you'll just cooperate with me, I'll reward you for it on top of everything else. Wow, boy, does that give a different picture of things, doesn't it? The Lord provides for us all we need to be successful. That's why we walk by faith. And that's not just Christianese. What walking by faith means is you live your life trusting in the Lord. That's what walking by faith is. Faith is trust or dependence. We walk by faith. He has called us to, and I, I use the term, we, I've used it many times. He has called us to a trusting obedience. We obey, but we're, as we obey, we're trusting him, depending upon him to help us accomplish his work. We walk by faith. And this is the key to working in the Christian life. It is God who supplies all we need to be successfully laboring for him. 
And that is an act of his grace. Folks, he didn't have to do that either. He didn't have to save me, and he didn't have to go with me and empower me to accomplish his will. But he gives it all to me. I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians, you're there? Chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 9. Look at these beautiful words. I underline it or circle this. For we are laborers, here's the word, together with God. Do you see it? Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We labor together with God by the grace of God. Let me say it again. That's a very important term. Sentence, we labor together with God by the grace of God. Grace, God's unmerited kindness, undeserved favor. We labor with him. He goes with us. It isn't like, you know, if you're playing a football game, it isn't like the coach pushes you out on the field and says, yeah, just go make the best of it and I'm over here and I'm grading you. No, he says, it's time to go down the field. Let's go together. Tell you what, if God's on my team, victory, right? See, folks, that's why Christians who don't live their lives for Christ, there's no excuse for that. 1 Corinthians, you're there. Hold your place in chapter 3. Turn with me over to chapter 15. Paul is so, now again, same book, talking about this issue. 1 Corinthians 15, he makes it clear, he explains it very well for us to understand it. We have responsibility, but with the responsibility, God also gives the ability. With the responsibility, God also gives us the ability. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. It wasn't a waste. But I labored more abundantly than they all, the other apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Look at that. I labored more abundantly than they are. Whoa, Paul, you're kind of bragging, aren't you there? He says, no, it wasn't me. It was the grace of God that enabled me to accomplish what I did. All glory goes to God. That's what he's saying. So does God want us to labor, to work hard? Yes, he does. But we do it by faith, trusting in him And faith brings down upon us the grace of God. We become recipients of that. If we are laboring with the Lord, then there is no reason for not being fruitful and productive in this life. No reason. And folks, we're accountable for how we live our lives once we're saved. Okay, let's move on. Back to chapter 3. Our next point is this. So what is going to be judged at the judgment seat? You might say, well, I'm, I'm going to be judged. Well, actually, the judgment seat of Christ has to do with our works. Works. Can I tell you there are some Christians today who hate that word? They hate it. They love, it's not of works. You're not saved by works. It's not of works. You're not saved by works. But when I say, you know, you know what? God wants us to work for him. Ah! Legalist, legalist. Well... 
we can read, right? Can we read? We can read. 1 Corinthians eleven twelve. it says, Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's, hmm, what's the word? What's that? Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's what? Of what sort it is. Every man's work shall be made known, manifest, and every man's, the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. You notice what's on judgment here? It's not your intention. It's not even your faith. It's your work. Because for the Christian, if we have quality works, they were accomplished by faith. But faith or intention or well, I, I, I don't know about this. I, 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 just, I, I, I believe in grace and I just, I just want to, we should just go around loving one another. That's what we should just love one another. Friend, that's wonderful. But can I tell you at the judgment seat of Christ, our works, what we've done with our lives is what is on judgment here. And we're all in the same boat. Gold, silver, precious stones. These are the godly works done with the right motives. The godly works done with the right motives. We know motives are part of it, right? We see that in chapter 4. These endure when scrutinized by the fire of God's judgment. Fire is always a picture of the judgment of God. The next, though, it says, talks about wood, hay, and stubble. These are the worthless works done that get burned up when examined under judgment. They're just, it's like a, like a bonfire. They get burned up. There's nothing left, nothing left. So then what are the results? Well, that brings us to number six, the results of the judgment seat of Christ. So I get raptured, or let me put it this way. I get saved. I live my life. I get raptured. I stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And what I have done with my life since I've been saved, the works that I have done, those are going to be judged by Jesus Christ himself. And some way, somehow, the things, the quality works I have done will be in a pile and the worthless works will be in the pile and the fire of God's judgment is going to consume that and what is left is what I will be rewarded for. So the results of the judgment seat of Christ. First, there will be reward for quality works, as we have seen. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 14, if any man's work, there it is again, what's the word? Work. If any man's work abide, remain, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Okay? Now, what is the reward? Lots of people wonder, and by the way, that is a whole, that's several messages right there. The Bible actually tells us a lot about the rewards that God is going to be handing out. Uh, Among them, there are five crowns, but they're not the only things that you can receive. This reward can consist of many things. Crowns, special placement in the future kingdom, the millennial kingdom, special privileges from God, special honor of one kind or another, which leads us to our second thing here. There will be praise and honor. The late Dr. Scudder used to say he wants to get his WD, WD degree. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Do you love to hear that from the Lord? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
Hold your place here. Turn with me to John chapter 12. The Bible's very clear. John chapter 12, verse 26. Jesus is speaking, and he says this in verse 26. Remember, he's the one who's doing the judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. He says, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Can you imagine God the father honoring the children? The parent honoring the children? I'd say, that doesn't seem right. Only by grace, folks, only by grace would you have something like that. The father honoring the children. It came to my mind in Revelation, it talks about how that one of the rewards is that for the the believer who lives a, a victorious life, that Jesus is going to allow those fruitful, overcoming children, he's going to allow them to sit on his throne with him. Can you imagine? That's staggering. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now, here's a passage I get very excited about. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 6. Because there are some believers who kind of think this way, and and I understand, they kind of think this way. Well, you know what? I'm not very talented. I don't teach Sunday school. I don't teach Awana. I don't preach. I don't do, you know, I don't do this. I don't have this um, on-display ministry. I'm just kind of one of the -the behind-the-scenes people. I've just never really been one out in front and all of that. Well, might say, what about me? Let me show you this. I get so encouraged by this. Hebrews 6.10. Oh, here's another one. I hear this often. You know what? I used to be very active. And pastor, I want to be active. And many times at that point, a senior starts crying. But I just can't do what I used to do. I just can't be involved the way I was at one point. And they're not making excuses. They're literally, they have limitations now. And I feel awful. I wish I could do more. Can I tell you, friends, there's many things you can do if you're in that situation. Now, do all you can, but if you are limited, there's many things you can do. And we've covered them often, and if you want to know what they are, talk to me afterwards. But I'll I'll give you some of the things right here. But in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, it says this, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work. He does not forget anything you did for him. Nothing. He is the perfect accountant. He never loses his data. He doesn't have to back up anything. He never flubs up. Everything done for him will come up at the judgment seat of Christ. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed towards his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. I love that. I love that. The least little thing that you did for Christ is going to be rewarded that day. Now stop for a minute. How about this? How about when you sit down to eat each and every day and you sincerely from the heart give thanks to God? You're going to get rewarded for that. If you've been doing that for 50 years, three times a day, it's a pretty good stash right there. 
How about other prayers for other people? Sincerely prayed. You're going to be rewarded for that. Maybe you're a person, you have a prayer list, and you go through that list every day or several times a week or whatever it may be. Every one of those prayers, sincerely prayed, you're going to get rewarded for that. Maybe every night before you go to bed, you pray for different... My wife and I, we pray for people, certain people, every single night. If we do that and our hearts are right towards God, we're going to be rewarded for every one of those prayers. That's just the beginning. What about an encouraging word to somebody? Maybe they're discouraged or whatever, and you just give an encouraging word. What about sending out just a helpful text to somebody? Hey, you came to mind. I'm praying for you. You're going to be rewarded for that. What about a a note card or something? Maybe just a little, I'm thinking of you kind of thing. You're going to be rewarded for that. What about just a, a simple note? What about a meal for somebody who's gone through surgery or is going through a hardship or a loss and you make a meal for them and you bring it over in Jesus' name to them? You're going to be rewarded for that meal. What if it didn't taste good? Doesn't matter. You did your best. God looks at the motives, right? The thoughts and intents of the heart. What about helping set up and tear down for church events? I think when we have a, a, an event here and people are moving tables and chairs and this and that and setting up for it and decorating and all those kind of things. Listen, if you're doing that for Christ, you're going to be rewarded for that. Say, really? Really all this stuff matters? It all matters. Yes. What about singing in the choir? You're going to be rewarded. Well, I don't have a very good voice. Everybody knows that. You're still going to get rewarded. (laughs) Now, don't get carried away with this, but it does say joyful noise, right? You get the point? What about sharing the gospel, leaving a track wherever you go? There ought to be a trail as we live our lives. There ought to be a trail of tracks, evidence that we've been there. You're going to get rewarded for that. What about the person you lead to Christ? Oh, that's a reward in itself. The soul winner's reward, a crown, 1 Thessalonians 2. Do you get the point? Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. See, folks... The Lord says, I've saved you, I have a life for you to live, and I am going to empower you and give you all the tools and the power you need to accomplish it. And if you'll cooperate with me, when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, you're really going to be blessed. You're going to have rejoicing. Colossians three twenty three. and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve Christ. Now listen, there is the positional inheritance of salvation. When you get saved, you inherit eternal life. You're a child of God. You have a home in heaven. But on top of that, then there's a reward. One way this could be rid, you shall receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. The word reward is there. It's not talking about just salvation. It's talking about on top of salvation. Faithfully living for Christ will result And not only, you're obviously going to heaven because you're saved by grace through faith, apart from works, but then living for Christ, God says, I'm going to give you reward on top of that. So there will be praise and honor, but also, let me say this, in fairness, see, there will be the suffering of loss. Getting back to our text in 1 Corinthians, go there with me. 1 Corinthians 3, there will be the suffering of loss. The worthless works will be burned up. The things we did with our lives that were worthless will be burned up. 
Hey, this one makes us uncomfortable. The Christian service done with a bad motive, wrong motive, may be driven by pride, arrogance, self-righteousness. That's going to get burned up. Person who gets up and sings and they're doing it and they sing because they love the accolades and that's why they're doing it. That's their heart motive. God knows, by the way, that will get burned up. There will be the suffering of loss. The worthless works will be burned up. 1 Corinthians 3.15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Suffer loss. The idea is to experience the loss of something. You know what? That could be rough. For some believer, the fire comes and it burns up almost everything they did from the day they got saved. There's not a whole lot. There's some, probably going to be something there, okay? Remember, even a prayer done in the right spirit is you're going to get rewarded for that. But how sad, which leads us to our next point, is this. There will be regret at the judgment seat of Christ. Turn with me to Hold your place here. We're going to be back. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. It says in verse 28, And now, little children, John's writing to believers, And now, little children, abide in him. How do you abide in him? Okay, that's the idea of walking in fellowship with him, staying close to him, walking by faith, trusting obedience. It's a trusting obedience. That's how you abide in Christ. The word abide means to stay in a given place, to remain there. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, that's the rapture, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. That opens up the reality very clearly, if you just look at the verse, the potential for shame at the judgment seat of Christ. For those who did not live their lives, for Jesus Christ. The shame mentioned here may very well be based on the fact that the believer's life was wasted and not used for Christ. See, when Jesus comes back and we get raptured, folks, we will see as he sees. Immediately, our value system will be crystal clear the way it's supposed to be. And we ourselves will be able to look and say, I wasted my life. Hopefully that's not the case for any of us. The shame mentioned here may be based on that. Now back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Very, very important point. Back in verse 15. You probably saw it when we just covered it a couple minutes ago, but let me highlight it. It says, if any man's work shall be burned. Let's say for an example, everything you do is burned up. Just as an example, everything you do. You're a believer. You completely wasted your life, trashed it. Now, there are some people who say, well, there is no such thing. Well, look what it says. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Yeah, he's lost everything he could have had. But remember, it takes place in heaven. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so as by or through the fire. That's our last point today. He himself shall be saved. Notice that even if a believer never did anything right from the day he trusted Christ, he would still be saved. Why? Because salvation is by grace through faith and not of works. The issue at the judgment seat of Christ are our works. I knew a man years ago, Pastor Trout, my wife Sue, you remember, there was a man, I think it was Andy Race, wasn't it? 
can't remember for sure what his name was. He was coming, Catholic background, he was coming out to church. He came several times. Finally, he got saved. The pastor, Pastor Weaver, he was teaching on 1 Corinthians 3 about this, and the man saw he's lost. He's already heard the gospel many times. He saw verse 15, and he said, there it is. There it is. That convinces me that it's not based on my works. Because if everything got burned up, if I believe in Christ, I'm still saved. He trusted Christ. On a verse talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Isn't the Holy Spirit great? Man, I'll tell you, he can do things with Scripture that we have no clue. A guy gets saved on a verse having to do with the judgment seat. But it was clear to him, and it ought to be clear to us. Now, God doesn't want us to waste our lives. But if you're saved, you're saved no matter what you do. You can't ever be lost. One last verse, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 is a resurrection chapter, which basically is saying, because Jesus did in fact come back from the dead, our faith is not in vain. It is the truth. You can bank on it. And therefore, let it affect your life. Because Jesus is coming back. 1 Corinthians 15 51 through 52, but it goes further. Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the what? Work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Christians, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. It really will be. Let us be faithful now. Let us labor for the master from the dawn till setting sun. Let's live for him. Let's understand everything we do. You know, it's really going to be exciting. And we'll close with this. All those tracks you've left places. Wouldn't it be great? You get to heaven and somebody runs up to you and they give you just a big old hug. And they say, you know what? You might say, What's it? They say, I got saved through that track that you left at that restaurant. I read it and I got saved. By the way, folks, don't you think for a second that doesn't happen. I know people who got saved by that. I know one woman who got saved when she was a teenager. She was walking down the street in Miami, Florida, and there was a heaven track that had been discarded, and it was by the curb there on the road, And she saw this piece of paper. She picked it up, and through that she got saved. It happens. See, God is not willing that any should perish. And he's working in marvelous ways. So let's, as believers, let's serve Christ. Let me say today, if you have never never personally trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you trust in him today? Going to heaven's not based on how you live. It's going to heaven on what Jesus did for you on the cross. He died for your sins. He paid your sin debt and he came back from the dead. If you'll trust in him, he'll give you everlasting life. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much and God bless you.